This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning, Media Week's weekly TV podcast. I'm James Manning. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. Hello to you, James. Now, we've got a little bit of bookkeeping from last week. I'd seen bad behaviour. You hadn't. I wanted to get your opinion. You wanted to see it. Yeah. Have you watched it? Yes, I did watch it. This is the new Aussie four-part series on Stan set in a girls' boarding school that's off the grid, so to speak. They're out in a kind of an outback country setting and it's a story about bullying. Yeah. And, wow, it was... How did you... I I found it quite disturbing, James. Yeah. I really did it. It kind of really upset me. I mean, I think it's important to be made, and I think that bullying like this, we really should shine a light on it. But, you know, it brought back some stuff for me, not that I was being bullied, but I thought to myself, yeah, the way that, you know, at school we would just single out people for things that they couldn't help. Um, and, you know, we used to bully students. We used to bully teachers. It really brought back a lot of my school days. Um, so I think it's a great show. I don't think I can watch all four hours of it, though. Um, I've watched the first one and a half episodes, and I'll probably cheat and go to the last episode and see how it ends up. But, you know, this is not aimed at me, an old white male. It's aimed at a, a, a teenage audience, uh, probably a bit female-centric. But I think it's an important show. Um, and I think that it's well made and, and I really hope that, you know, a lot of the, the target audience, young girls watching that, that, you know, they take something from it and, uh, think to themselves, yeah, you know, maybe reach out to someone that they didn't treat so well in high school. And, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's an important series and well done to Stan for commissioning another great Aussie series, even though they're having a little bit of a whinge and saying, oh, we don't like these new government regulations, uh, making all the streamers make a certain amount of Aussie content at all, make it hard for us to get the the projects because there'll be more people competing for it. It's like, wow, you know, Stan have done a great job commissioning Australian drama and they can continue to commission great Australian drama, even though some of the other streamers might be legislated to do so. Don't change what you're doing, Stan. You're doing a great job with Aussie drama, but, you know, we, we need the others to be, you know, catching up with you, so to speak. Yeah, the um, production values are pretty good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that location they're in, that that uh, school where they're sort of separated from their families. And what about the, the 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 headmaster? You know, when that kid does something wrong, he goes, "You've got to go on a four a.m. jog." It's like, oh my god, that is torture. That would that would resonate with me over detention, making me jog at four a.m. in the morning. Can't think of anything worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't quite buy into that location but it's not critical to the storyline anyway it's just yeah that's there we talked about that's their sort of um that's the other school you go to when you go and you do six months or whatever it is uh, yeah other skills and yeah um 
And that is a thing. I, I must admit with you, I don't know that I really bought when they said, oh, the teachers, they live down the road. It's like, really? They just let kids sleep in dorms? Like, no wonder there's horrific abuse going on of students they pick on. Yeah, I didn't quite believe that, that there wouldn't be at least a dorm master in that room with them, making sure there wasn't any uh, hanky-panky, but whatever. It's a, it's a TV series that has to hammer home its point. Yeah, and I know some people who watched it and really, really wanted to, were really engaged by that first episode in a way that it didn't engage me, but they wanted to go back to it. Yeah. We as an audience that that will go there. Look, let's move on. We've got some interesting stuff this week. We've got a, a couple of series on Prime. We've got something good on Binge and Foxtel, and we're going to get you talking about a little bit about World Pride towards the end because there's been some interesting stuff there, and I want to give you a little update on something I've finished this week. Okay. Right, so look, Prime, we've got a couple of – we talk about how um, the different streaming services have purple patches and some good stuff. Two important things on Prime this week. Um, the consultant is the first one. Look, I've been a, a, a fan of Christopher Waltz's, I guess, since I watched Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. You know, a really compelling character in that. Yeah. Uh, and up again in um Django Unchained. Again, another really compelling character. He's played yeah. a character in a, the recent Bond of movies. Yeah. Uh, well, I've always thought, look, if he's in it, I've got to invest some time in it. Look, after watching, I've only watched the first episode of The Consultant. I don't know. It, I, it was. It just seemed odd to me. I didn't know what was being pitched at. Is it more a thriller? Is it more black comedy? If it's more black comedy, it's a really weird um, opening scenes to get you to come back, quite violent. Yeah. You know? Um. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, look, I thought it was really, really strange. (laughs) Um, You know, I I get that it's a workplace drama and they have to sort of, you know, let this, you know, do what they've got to do. But, you know, I I just found the way that the employees were just letting this guy walk in at 4am in the morning to a company and take over without any paperwork. And this whole thing about he, he can't do stairs, He's too scared to walk upstairs. I was like, what? Honestly, if someone arrived at a company I worked at and said, can you help me walk up the stairs? I'm scared of them. I'd be like, that guy's a freak. I'd be running for the door. So, yeah, I found that I find the setup very odd Um, and I found the way that the people, those young employees are working in the company, I found their behaviour unbelievable. I, I really... I watched three episodes and I was going, nah, I'm not buying this scenario. Yeah. As good as Christoph Waltz is in it, I really wasn't buying it. Yeah. Yeah, no, Christopher, I mean, without Christoph Waltz, this really hasn't got a lot going for it, has it? I no. don't. Um, am I right to think the opening scenario is too violent and they just dismiss it as a scene setup, I think? Does that... Is that yeah. a modern American drama? They, it's a very violent society over there, but is it surprising when things like this are just used as devices to draw you into a TV series? Yeah, that is quite a shocking opening for it, um, you know, and if you 
showed that series on Gogglebox, every single person would be watching it would be like, what? What? How did that just happen? Yeah, it's incredibly violent. And you're right, they just kind of move on with it and kind of, you know, oh, do you think we should clean up the blood on the wall? Um, yeah, yes. Um, yeah, but that is just so uh, symptomatic of the glorification of violence on American TV, the TV that, oh, mustn't show a naked body, but, you know, shoot whoever you want as graphically as you want and then dissect the body. Yeah, and that whole thing about, okay, so they go back to the scene of this crime almost immediately and it's not a roped-off crime scene. Anybody could just walk in. I mean, yeah, come on. It was just, I found it all very bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, G. Christoph Waltz is busy. I mean, he's gone from that that James Bond film. I just watched a film that he made called Georgetown with Vanessa Redgrave. It was on Netflix, I think, or something like that. And then, you know, just the other day we got an invitation for yet another Stan Australian Commission, a movie called The Portable Door that Christoph Waltz is in along with Sam Neill. Um, and I just kind of thought, wow, it's it's, it's a it's a kind of a, uh, a a fantasy book based on a fantasy series and it's filmed in Queensland but set in London. And I just thought, wow, Christoph Waltz is kind of everywhere at the moment. Yeah, I think I might have called him Christopher at the start of this podcast. Yeah, but, yeah um, you did. I quietly corrected you there and you picked it up on me. Um, and he's also got, he's a voice in um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yes, true. Um, the um, the award circuit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the consultant. We're, we're not sure about that one. On... Also on Prime, and one I'm a lot more into is Daisy Jones and the Six. Yeah, yeah. How how many episodes have you watched? I've knocked off three so far. Uh, I think two. I'm into. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I'm enjoying it. I was a little bit unsure at at parts of the first and second, but then I just got into it and thought, yeah, I sort of let it wash over me. Now you've read the book, correct? Someone commented me, oh, wait, I don't think it's that great. It's not as good as the book. I, I don't think you can compare things like that. You've got to let it stand on its own merits. Yeah. I think it's going to really kick into high gear for me. I really, really like it. Um, but we're moving towards that moment where, you know, it's about Daisy Jones and then it's about this band called The Six. Yeah. Um, and the... You know, what I'm loving about it is the musical side of it. I know the characters, it's staying very faithful to the book, but the musical side of it is they have created an album for this fictional band, which is loosely based on the Fleetwood Mac story. And they're getting to the point where they have this song called Honeycomb that becomes a huge hit all around the world. And I can't wait to hear that song because that song has to be incredible and believable. And, of course, to have Daisy Jones being played by Riley Keough, who is the daughter of Lisa Marie Presley and therefore the granddaughter of Elvis. Wow, what a musical pedigree that is. So, yeah, I I can't wait to see where Daisy Jones and the Six is going to head. Yeah, and I think they've done a pretty good job with the music, haven't they? I mean, it's... There's a soundtrack album coming out, I think, the day after we're recording this episode. So yeah. 
search that out and have a bit of a listen. There's been a couple of singles so far, so they've done a good job there. the The show looks very authentic. They've it covers well, it's about a twenty year period it covers, doesn't it, from the start of the band till the reminisces, which yeah. is for. And some of the characters have aged better than the others. They've done a job <laughs> trying to make them look twenty years older. Yeah. Look- with some than the others, but it's it's sort of believable, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they've done quite a, a good job at it, and Sam Claflin is really great playing Billy, the lead singer, the charismatic lead singer of this band. And, you know, we've got the other, the female characters in this show are actually really important too because this is a rock band of mostly men and Karen, who's the keyboardist, uh, and Camilla, who's the girlfriend, the photographer girlfriend. I mean, they need to form a sisterhood to deal with these men and the way that the, the men are behaving on the road, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of rock and roll. And, you know, having said that, Daisy Jones is no angel either. So, but there's there's some really interesting uh, relationships that are going to come out through this, uh, given that I've read the book. I keep thinking of Cameron Crowe every time I turn this on because it's the sort of stuff he's been associated with in the past. But I, as far as I know, he ha- hasn't had anything to do with this. But no. no. Almost a little bit. If he's a spiritual, you know, they've the, the the people involved have liked his work as well, and 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 looked at it, and creatives have have loved what Almost Famous did, you know, twenty odd years ago. Yeah. Um, um, what was it? Roadies was his other the series again. It's sort of there's little bits of that. If you'd like that, you're going to love this. You know. Yeah. There's other things that it that um, sort of broke some ground a- ahead of what Daisy Jones and the Six has, has done. I like very much the character Teddy Price. Yeah, or Tom Ryder is the the producer who who tries to get um, Daisy. You know, wants to work with her. She she refuses all his all his um, overtures early on. She, you know, I love the way they play that up and she just turns her back on him, you know, and he keeps trying. He can see something in her. He's a producer who's had a few recent failures. There's some yep. on him to find, to find a successful artist and he can see enough in her and also this band. Um, yeah. That there's, you know, they don't come, they're not together at the start of this story. So No, they're not. Quite a bit of backstory that you've got to go through until I haven't got there yet, where they're brought together. So yeah, looking forward to that, and it's it's quite an engaging story. Yeah, and there's also this kind of Donna Summer uh, disco singer, uh, this woman in it as well. That's uh, you know on the uh, alongside it as well, and Timothy Oliphant uh, is there as well as a kind of an old school uh, rock guy that uh, convinces the band to move to LA if they want to be in the game. They have to play the Sunset Strip in the 70s. And, you know, it's it certainly captured the 70s vibe for me. I'm finding it quite believable. They've got the era down so far. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to see where it's heading. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and, of course, uh, Reese Reith Witherspoon is involved in her production company, uh, Hello Sunshine, uh, are, are in there as producers in that, and they, you know, they – they bring a level of quality to anything they do, so that's that certainly helps raise the bar a little bit. But I, but I think we'd sort of pretty much unreservedly recommend it this year. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. Big, uh, big thumbs up from me. 
Yeah, there's going to be 10 episodes um, dropping. I think they're dropping a bunch at once. So there's um, first three episodes are out the week we're recording this. Right. Next week there'll be another three. Mid-March there'll be another two, and I think the last two drop in the last week of March. So it's interesting. all going to be within March, all 10 episodes. Yeah. So yet another sort of distribution model. It's not <laughs> one a week. It's not all at once. It's a it's a bit of both, which is sort of manageable too because you can't often watch all at once, but sometimes you do want more than that one a week. So And that strategy might be tied into the music because, oh. as I said to you, I've watched the first three episodes and I'm yet to get to this killer track. So maybe they've decided on that strategy because it's going to work with, I don't know, singles or the music. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Look, I know at the end of this episode we're going to nominate our um shows of the week and I can give you a little a little preview. I'm going to be torn between this and our next program which is on Binge and Foxtel as from HBO and BBC. It's Rain Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So the first reviews are starting to land for this. Uh, Craig Matheson gave it five stars uh, in the age and said he was completely blown away from by it. And you know what? I still haven't been able to see the last episode. There's something wrong with the media link. So I've watched nine episodes of it, but I haven't quite got to the last episode yet. Um, so I don't know how it all ends. But, you know, I found... It did take me a while to get into it. I watched the first couple of episodes, and I said to you last week on the podcast, James, that I thought it was a little bit try hard with so many things going on, the homelessness, the poverty, the gay man in jail, the woman who worked in a funeral parlour. I was like, oh, you're just trying so hard to shock me here. Um, but then it it got its hooks into me, and I was like, oh, I need to know where this is going, and I just kept watching it and watching it and watching it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it sounds like it's going to really make an impact. And, you know, for HBO and the BBC to be a co-production on it, that's why I kind of went, okay, anytime those two companies team up, it's got to be something good. Yeah. And, look, Daisy May Cooper is a very hot property in the UK. You know, she's got a – she brings a credibility to, the, to a show that she's got, you know, she's very um, – I don't know. There's just a lot of people who appreciate her work. She's on some of the panel shows in the UK, um, and and people just just can't get enough of her if they like her. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Brings a lot to this show. I, I'm a big fan of um, Jack Farthing, who plays Selby. Um, th- to me, um, he was. I was a big fan of Poldark. He was a very central character in Polgar. Right. George Warlegan in Poldark, who was not a very likable character. He was, you know, there was nothing redeeming about what he did in Poldark, but he played it so well. Yeah. You know, really didn't like him, which is um which is saying something if you like the work he did, but you don't like the character. That is so interesting, yeah. And I guess that's part of the attraction of Christoph Waltz, who we just talked about. I mean, he was so horrible in Inglorious Bastards, but then Quentin Tarantino uh, cast him as a as a good guy in Django Unchained, and you kind of go, he's charismatic in both roles, you know? Uh, yeah. 
And he also played um, Charles in the movie Spencer um, about uh, Princess Diana. Was that the Naomi Watts one? Or was that the Kristen Stewart one, Kirsten Stewart one? I know it was a Diana movie. There's been so bloody many of them. I have trouble trying yeah. to put them all together. Ball was in it as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was that one. I, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm guessing that Charles portrayed in that wasn't terribly likable as well. Um, right. Saying that without having seen it, but yeah, look, I've got I got into Rain Dogs like you. I was a little bit, it's a bit bumpy. There's, it's certainly not everybody's cup of tea because there's no. quite confronting, very, one, especially when we first see how um, Costello and Selby, that's Daisy May Cooper and Jack Farthing, are reunited in that a scene in a, oh. a uh, toilet, you know. Yeah. Say no more. And, you know, there was there's this moment in it where, um, uh, they, you know, someone's going on a, a date and the guy takes him to a bin and goes bin diving for food and you're going, come on. But, yeah, so it's all that kind of mad, really out there stuff. But then you actually realise that this is actually about people living on the edge in, uh, in poverty. And, you know, this lead character, Costello, she is determined, you know, the, they want to put her in a housing commission place, like, oh, yeah, we've got a place for you, but it's out in some village. And she's like, no, I, I, I might be poor, but I still want to live in London. This is my hood. I've grown up here and I want to live here no matter how hard it is. And, you know, this is part of what makes her journey so difficult. She won't take what they they, they give her. Yeah, and uh, Adrian Edmondson's got a got a role in this, and he you think he's just an interesting eccentric bloke, but then there's there's that scene where Daisy oh. goes to his house and uh, don't say what she does, but then what she does when she's there? Wow! <laughs> and that that other scene where you'd think some guy's trying to help her out with a place to stay because she gets evicted, I think in the first episode, and yep. some his the conversation about her eviction and says, oh, look, I've got a place I could help you out. And you think he's just being a do-gooder and well, and what he tries on, which you can sort of see coming, but it's not yeah. as you expect. And yeah. It's quite unsettling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and you know what? She sort of knows that it's coming too, yeah. um, given her line of work, but she's still, she's so desperate. She has to go, go with it and see how bad it gets. Won't go, you know. You can say, yeah, she sees it coming, but she doesn't want to have to go through with watching. Yeah. And then her daughter's like in the next room. Um, her relationship with her young daughter is is troubling as well because this yeah, poor young girl who seems to cope with it very well, what she's put through, you know, through through really no fault of daisies in a way because she's yeah. trying if she can to provide for her as a single mum. Yeah, that the the little girl in it, it's it's really interesting because they don't overplay that and she doesn't really have a lot to do. She doesn't really have her own stories going on. It's about the adults, but yes, there's a little kid there all the time and she is remarkably um remarkably mature for her age in dealing with uh all of these adults behaving quite badly around her. In a way, and they're obviously very different things, but The Last of Us, what the young girl goes through in that, just remind, echoed a little bit, if you like, of 
of, you know, kids have to put up with stuff sometimes, you know. Yeah. That's obviously a, a science fiction fantasy and this is based in a lot more reality, but it does put kids in um, in circumstances that they would rather not be in. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay, so that is... Um, that is where are we? That is Rain Dog. So that's that's launching this week too. So yeah, again, we'd both recommend that. I think. Um, talk to me a little bit about World Pride. You wrote about it last week in Media Week. Uh, there were some interesting shows. I I watched um, most of that concert on Friday night. Kylie and Danny came out. Man, I loved that concert. That concert, there wasn't a dud act there. Whether or not it was uh, the opera, whether it was Electric Fields, Casey Donovan. Casey Donovan made me cry. She was so beautiful. That Sound of Music number that Courtney Act did around Do Re Mi about LGBTQIA, that was so brilliant. And then, of course, you get Jessica Malboy and Charlie XCX and uh, then... Kylie and then Danny Minogue. My God, it just about blew my head off. I loved it so much. I was so upset that I wasn't there in the crowd. One of the things I'm really noticing with the audience shots is how much effort everybody has gone to in Sydney to dress up in colourful clothes. My God, this, this rainbow colours now that nobody's wearing grey. The only person wearing grey was Alba when he marched in the parade the next night. But you're seeing so, so many back to the days. And this is how Mardi Gras and sleazeball used to be. You had to have an outfit. If you just turned up in a pair of shorts and a singlet, you really hadn't gone to much of an effort. And everyone's gone to so much of an effort now. And what I'm noticing with the, uh, particularly a lot of the younger uh, generation now is the RuPaul generation who are now doing makeup and everyone's got a bit of glitter eyeshadow and glitter in the beards. And the parade I thought was really great too. I think ABC's done a great job with their broadcasting. The parade went for like four and a half hours. It was so long. But look, I thought the hosting and the commentary this year was the best in years. When it started, Nate Byrne from ABC Breakfast, the weatherman, he was a bit overexcitable. I was like, calm down, Nate. And he did. He brought it down. Um, Mon Shafter there on the side and the third guy whose name I'll have to Google, who was the third host of it. He was so calm and so dry, he was so funny with the things that he was saying. And I think it's really, really important with that that you have hosts who don't get overexcitable. They can't be squealing or anything like going on. Jack Evans, his name was, he was sensational the way that he kind of kept everybody kept the other three calm and they gave this really calm, concise, informative commentary throughout a really, really long parade and, and made it really bearable uh, watching at home. I hate it when the hosts are screaming and telling stories about, oh, I'll meet you at the fourth pylon at the RHI at the party. It's like, shut up, stop talking about this party you're going to that nobody at home gets to go to. And they didn't do that this year. They kept it on the street and kept it in the moment, and they did a really great job. So well done, Nate, Jack, and Mon with your commentary this year. Really, really world class, and that was important this year because it was World Pride. Okay, good stuff. Look, um, I'm going to ask you your program of the week in a minute as we wrap this up. 
my little quick update is Clarkson's Farm I spoke about last week. Yes. Look, I wondered whether it was it might be running out of steam. I've watched the end. I've watched all eight episodes. I've got to say no. I think it'll be back again, and I hope it will be, although that it did sort of tidy up some loose ends, so it might be a natural finish. But, it's look, it's worth staying with. It's a really nice ending to it. It's... um. It's almost unlike Jeremy Clarkson. It's against his character, if you like. So, look, stick with it. And it's, you know, it's um, it's a good ending. Yeah, it is. And they do some quite interesting things. They, it's There's a lot. They're up a lot. People might have read in the media there's a lot of red tape. The local council tried to shut him down. Wow. They, they he opened a farm shop. They said, no, you can't do that. Too many, It was too successful. People were parking on the road. Too many people were coming into their exclusive little village. They're ex- <laughs> part of the Cotswolds. Oh, we don't want that, you know. And he, but he was selling your local produce. He was, you know, helping the local farmers. Um, he wanted to do a restaurant. No, you can't do that, you know. You know, it's it's not in keeping with the local feel and all this. So it's a really interesting battle against, you know, boutique versus sort of antiquated red tape. So look, yeah. stick watched any of it and you think it's it's interesting. Andrew, what's your show of the week? Well I I want to say Daisy Jones and the Six because it's fantastic. But I also want to give out a huge plug for back in time for the corner shop, which is about to start on ABC. It'll join it makes it gives them a really strong Tuesday night. Back in time for the corner shop followed by Queer Australia. Um, and, you know, the Farone family have been doing Back in Time. They're so lovely. They've done two series and now they're doing the corner shop and following how the corner shop was once the hub of the local community. And, again, what's really interesting is that divide between men and women where when the shops first opened in the 1800s, the men are out the front in the white apron selling everything and the women are out the back doing all the work, turning the bloody milk grinder to make the butter and doing this hard labour and not allowed to be seen in the shop. You know, and they don't get to come out to the front of the shop until the 1920s. It's so interesting. You learn so much about Australia and you learn so much about history and the Ferroni family are so delightful. I'm so happy to have them back on TV. Thank you, ABC. This is a great concept and uh, I'll watch them go back in time for years and years if you can find uh, ways to keep doing this. Well, thank you for the heads up. This is a phenomenon that's escaped me so far, so I will I will definitely delve into it. Look, quickly, my I've got to go with Daisy Jones and the Six, I think. It's such a big production. There's so many things that could have gone wrong that I think they've managed to pull off, you know. Yep all the little elements that are maybe not a hundred percent, but they're all working well enough to, to give it a big tick. Um, yeah. Look, I love rain dogs and I, you know, I might cheat and bring that in for another week. Yeah. As you see more of it. Yeah. And so I can get it into my end of the year list as yeah. one. Of but this week, I think I just can't overlook Daisy Jones and the six. So there you go. Andrew Mercado, do you know what you're writing about this week in media week? 
Yeah, I'm talking about, um, I'm reading this incredible book about um, some forgotten female pioneers from the early days of American TV. And so it's made me do kind of look at how so many series like Rain Dogs and like Daisy Jones are really kind of pushing female characters and stories to the forefront. So I'm writing about that this week um, and a few other things that we haven't talked about in uh, this column. So, yeah, there's some there will be some new stuff in there. Fantastic. You can read Andrew at mediaweek.com.au every Friday and in our Media Week morning report. Don't tell you. Don't forget to tell your friends about uh, Mercado and Manning, our weekly TV podcast. If you feel like it, link us, give us a review. Any sort of little help would be great. And we'll be back again next week. We'll see you then. Have a great week, James.